I read Psalm 23 a moment ago. I'm going to read it again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord continually forever and ever. Amen. David was affirming the promises of God here. Do we affirm these promises? Do we really believe Psalm 23? How confident this morning are you of this promise? Does this promise actually cause you to become a bold and fearless witness for Christ Jesus? As I was reading this psalm preparing for Sunday service, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul in Philippians as he is in prison for preaching the gospel. And I was thinking about how often he may have recited the 23rd Psalm when he was suffering for Christ in prison at Rome. Paul knows the promises of God from the Old Testament, and this is what comforted his heart and brought him strength and confidence in the midst of suffering. And this is also what brings us strength and confidence in the midst of our suffering also. Paul must have kept God's promises on his mind consistently because when we, when we look at Philippians, especially Philippians 1, 12-14, we can hear the Apostle Paul doing something supernatural, something that is not normal. He is rejoicing. He is rejoicing with confidence in his confinement, his imprisonment. He's rejoicing while he is locked up in a prison. Because he knows that God has a purpose for all things in the believer's life. And all things are working together for good, for us, and for God's glorious purposes. Let's go to Philippians now. And read, actually, Philippians 1, 12-18 together. We will focus primarily on verse 14 this morning. I'm just picking up where I left off from last week. And I pray that this encourages you as you stand confident in Christ in your confinement here on earth. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here in prison. I am put here in Rome. I am put here, he says, for the defense of the gospel. 
The former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul is rejoicing because the gospel is advancing even through harsh predicaments and imprisonment and confinement, God's sovereign will is being accomplished. That's what we looked at last week in 12 and 13. We saw that Paul was joyful in the midst of his trials because he knew, confidently knew, the promises of God. He knew that God was providentially, number one, removing obstacles for others through his predicament. He was removing the fear of standing up for Christ. He was removing that so that the gospel would go forward through the brothers who see him standing firm in this predicament. And secondly, he knew that God was providentially not only removing obstacles, this is great, he was actually reaching sinners that Paul could have never reached apart from God's intervention, placing him in this imprisonment. He's reaching sinners through his imprisonment. He was reaching the imperial guard, the praetorian soldiers. And in turn, we know at the end of Philippians that the praetorians who guarded the emperor's household must have had some sort of influence there because there we see at the end of Philippians that Caesar's household was even believing. Some there had heard the gospel because of this imprisonment. This is what Paul rejoices in. And today, thirdly, the third reason Paul responds with joy in the midst of his confinement is found in verse 14. It's in verse 14 that we see Paul rejoicing in the midst of trials because God was providentially, thirdly, renewing boldness through this confinement. He was renewing the boldness of the brothers through this confinement. He was renewing their confidence in the Lord, not in Paul. It's in the Lord that they found confidence and they found boldness and they found a fearless desire to speak the word to the lost because they saw the promises of the Lord being fulfilled in the Apostle Paul's confinement. In verse 14, we learn that God actually used Paul's confinement to encourage others to confidently and boldly unchain the gospel by proclaiming it fearlessly. Isn't it amazing? He's confined. But in his confinement, others are given freedom to unchain the gospel boldly and fearlessly and present it everywhere they go, knowing that they may be confined at some time to prison, but the cost was worth doing this for Christ's sake. It was worth it. Even confinement couldn't stop the gospel. Here we're reminded again that the gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely unstoppable. God will turn every situation into an opportunity to proclaim the good news of Christ and it will penetrate soldiers and Caesar's household and the brothers who need encouragement to proclaim it consistently. We saw that last week. We saw that the gospel advanced into the hearts of soldiers and then into the household of Caesar through Paul's predicament and imprisonment. And today we see that Paul's Confinement caused the gospel to advance through the confidence of the brothers at Rome. 
the confidence of the brothers at Rome as they observed Paul's abiding joy in the midst of his suffering. Paul had contentment in the midst of this confinement. He knew that the sovereign purposes of God were not thwarted by man or by prison. In verse 14, Paul tells us that God was actually using this confinement to build the confidence of others so they would go forth with a fearless passion for proclaiming Christ to the world. Look what it says in verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, notice, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In verse 14, Paul tells us that most of the brothers, most of the brothers have become confident, notice, in the Lord. They have become confident, not in Paul, but in the Lord. What, what do you think Paul means here when he uses this phrase, the Lord? The Lord implies His sovereign rule. They are confident in the sovereign one who is over Paul's predicament, over his confinement. It implies that they must have understood that God was in control even through this confinement. God was working. God's purposes were not thwarted. This, this gave them confidence in the Lord. The Lord had appointed the Apostle Paul to be the evangelist to the Gentiles, and his work was being accomplished even in this confinement. I mean, what, what a great testimony that, that, that Paul had here. He's in confinement. He's chained to a Roman soldier consistently every day for two years, and they keep hearing the gospel, and the, the, the church in Rome keeps seeing Paul's consistent witness to these soldiers, his love, his compassion, his proclamation, and the church is emboldened. The church says, look, prison can't stop the preaching of Christ and Him crucified. Actually, it chained the guard to the apostle. God providentially, irresistibly, drew the soldiers to the gospel. God did a miracle through the apostle Paul's consistent proclamation even in the midst of suffering. Most of the brothers have become confident, he says, in the Lord, and they are, and I just love how Paul writes these, these things sometimes, they are much more bold. They, they aren't just bold, they are much more bold to speak the word. That means to witness for Christ. The word implies the gospel here. They are much more bold to speak the gospel. Notice the last phrase, without fear. The Greek word there is aphobos. Like atheist, an atheist, no God. Here he says, they are speaking the word without fear. No fear, no phobia. Fearlessly preaching the gospel. Boldly, shamelessly preaching the gospel without fear of repercussions. Because of the Lord who is working through my confinement. Most of the brothers are speaking the word confidently and fearlessly, he says in verse 14. And he says that because he knows that their confidence is not in Paul, but in the Lord who placed Paul in this confined situation. Paul's confidence in the Lord's promises, I think, were magnified in the brothers when they saw him go through these situations. He had confidence. Paul himself was confident in the Lord. He was confident that God placed him there for a divine purpose. 
And we need to have that confidence when we go through trials. Sometimes, sometimes do you not feel like you are in confinement here on earth? I mean, don't you feel confined sometimes by this world, this system we live in? And sometimes we wonder, is God here working in the midst of all this? And yet we're reminded here that, yes, even in the worst conditions, in the worst confinement, God is working to bring glory to His name and good to others. So when we look at this, I think what we're doing is we're getting a little glimpse into Paul's testimony that tells us he trusted in the promises of God. The promises of God kept him firm in the midst of suffering. Kept him from wavering. Kept him from being, feeling despondent or depressed or self-focused and self-pity settling in. He saw even the worst situations as opportunities to preach Christ and proclaim the grace of God. So think about this. Ask yourself this. How, how does, how does the, the testimony of the Apostle Paul and his perseverance affect you practically? Do you read the story and just kind of like dismiss it? Or do you read the story and, and think there's a purpose for this? Why is this account written here, inspired by the Holy Spirit? What is this supposed to do for us? I think it should do for us what it did for the saints, most of the brothers there in Philippi. It should cultivate confidence in the Lord. It should cultivate a bold witness, a fearless witness in us. So, so ask yourself that. Are, are you becoming more confident in the sovereign God of the universe who called you, loved you, sent His Son to die for you? Are you becoming more confident in His promises as a result of this witness? Are you now much more bold like the brothers in Philippi because of Paul's testimony? This is, this is the purpose of the washing of the word this morning. It is a sanctifying process here. We should all be feeling the burn. We should all recognize that we are not as confident as we ought to be. And we're not nearly as bold as these men were testified to be. Are we, are we confident? Are we bold? when we read about the promises of God. The promises of God produced confidence in the Apostle Paul in the midst of confinement. And church, that is where our source of strength is found. It is in the promises of God, not our subjective feelings and situations. Our situations look dim and dismal at times. And if we didn't have the promises of God to fall back on, we would give up. But as we fill our hearts and minds with the truth, we can stand firmly in Christ in the midst of every situation and whatever confinement we find ourselves in. I believe that God's promises to Paul comforted him in the midst of these difficult situations. God, you know, God gave a promise to Paul at his conversion. Are we familiar with that on the road to Damascus? Let's, let's look at that. Look at Acts chapter 9. I believe that God's promise to Paul at his conversion actually gave Paul confidence and boldness during this confinement and the many others that he faced. God's promises made Paul a confident and a bold witness. Let's, let's read the short account here of it in 9, verse 10 to 16. You know, there's a lot of promises that Christians like to claim. This isn't one of them. But this is the one that sustained Paul. This is the one that actually kept Paul persevering in difficulty. 
And this promise, I think, should help us. Because if the great Apostle Paul and the greater Lord Jesus Christ went through suffering to bring about the glory of God and the good of others, I think that we can be prepared for that as well and joyfully embrace it. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas... Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. And Ananias is just wanting to make sure God knows what's going on, like God doesn't really know. He's just reminding the Lord, this guy's dangerous, are you sure? And then in verse 15, here's how the Lord responds. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now that's a promise. That's an amazing promise. We, We all see that as a glorious promise. You, when you're born again, you are made a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a chosen instrument called out to carry His name to the Gentiles, to kings, to children of Israel, whoever you meet. But with that comes another great promise in the next verse. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Go get him. Go tell him my glorious purpose. He will be a chosen instrument who will feel the hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ fall upon him for speaking the truth. Yet God will use that to bring about a great revival and bring people into the kingdom. Go tell him how much he's going to suffer for standing up for the truth. I think when Paul understood this, it comforted him. He, he was comforted by the promise. He, he, was, he was told here in verse 15 that God promised to use him to reach the lost. Hallelujah, he says. Amen. And I think that that promise, that, that greater promise in one sense to us humanly, comforted him and sustained him when he was beaten. For Jesus, when he was abused by Jews and rejected by his brothers, when he was shipwrecked for preaching the gospel, when he was bitten by a viper, when he was rejected by his friends, when he was constantly beaten and in chains for Jesus' sake, beaten until dead, this promise kept coming back to him. But God has a promise to fulfill in my suffering. I keep going to proclaim Christ fearlessly. What are they going to do? Take me out? I win. I go home. If I stay and they imprison me, I preach in the prison and it reaches to the depths of the world even through my imprisonment. I think think it's just fascinating how, again, last week the soldiers became unwilling evangelists. 
hearing Paul, watching Paul, coming back to the barracks, talking about what they learned from Paul, sharing what they learned to these other pagan soldiers, and in turn, those pagan soldiers talking over the gospel together. Men who would never have heard about Jesus had God not placed Paul in this predicament. That same God is sovereign over your life and your predicaments. He is sovereign over all of our life's conditions. Are we as confident in the promises of God as Paul was? Are we really confident? I mean, we say we believe the promises of God. We all claim the the first promise. Yes, I am chosen by God. Hallelujah. Thank you for grace. But are we really confident? Are we really confident that if God chose us, He may have given a path for us to follow, to go down, that may not be comfortable, but it is for His namesake. And He will sustain me, and He will use whatever I face to bring glory to His name. Is that your testimony this morning? If I personally were this confident, it would be very evident in my life. It would be evident by a bold, fearless pursuit of Christ and witnessing for Christ continually. I'm not sure that that's my witness, my testimony. If it's not my testimony, if it's not your testimony... It may be because we have forgotten something. Something that the Apostle Paul could not forget in this predicament, in this confinement. We may have forgotten the promises of God. I suspect that you and I both would profit this morning in reviewing what God promised to us in Christ. So I want to do that with you this morning. If you have an outline... You see four things that are promised to us, listed there. And we'll go through these. Paul's, Paul's testimony at Philippi should, should serve to remind us that we need God's promises, that we need His promises to sustain us. This is where our confidence comes from. This is where our confidence comes from when we are confined here on earth as Christ's ambassadors. You know, we're not confined by the world, we're confined in the world for God's glory as His ambassadors. The Bible says, number one, the Bible says that all Christians are promised, one, identification with Christ when we suffer for following His commands, His directions. Look with me at 2 Timothy to see that. 2 Timothy 3. Don't be surprised by fiery ordeals when you stand up for Christ. We're promised identification with Christ when we suffer for following His directions according to 2 Timothy 3.10. You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching. This is the Apostle Paul writing. You followed my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, here's the promise. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
the world still has hatred to pour out on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are a faithful ambassador, that hatred will fall upon you. When you expose sin and you point people to the need they have in their hearts of repentance and confession in Christ and trusting in His work, they will find that offensive. The gospel is an offense to sinners because it tells us who we really are. We are defiled wretches in need of a redeeming grace that we don't deserve. And God has provided that for us in His Son. When we identify ourselves with Christ, this will come. So just ask yourself, are you feeling persecution for your witness? If you're not, are you truly trusting in God's promises? Are you truly renewing your mind in God's promises that tell you that even if you suffer for Jesus' sake, others will hear the gospel. Your comfort is worth sacrificing for the glory of God and the good of sinners. Do you love sinners? You should. This is who you are, but by grace you're a forgiven sinner. And God sent someone to you to be uncomfortable to preach Christ to you so that you can now share that same message with other sinners. But along with the, the promise that we're given here of identification with Christ and His suffering, we're also promised, secondly, not just identification, we're also promised protection. We're promised protection from fearing that God has abandoned us in the midst of our afflictions, according to Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. This promise here tells us in verse 28 that for those who have been called by God, elect by God, chosen by God, picked out by God, saved by God, all things work together to conform us to the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. That's what the all things work together for. They work together for good, and the greatest good is to conform us to the image of God's Son, God the Son trusted God the Father completely. We should be conformed to His image. God the Son obeyed God the Father perfectly. We should be conformed to that and pursue it. Even in the midst of trials, God is working to burn off the dross and make us like Christ. Because God is not punishing you. He has not abandoned you. He is using you in the midst of this to testify to His grace that's sustaining you. I think Romans 8.28 should just amaze us. It amazes me because it says that God will do whatever it takes to conform us to Christ. God loves us so much that He'll do whatever it takes. He'll use everything in our lives to make us like His Son. And that should embolden us when we stand up and testify for Christ, knowing we will be persecuted for it. It should make us fearless. Fearless. 
even that persecution can be used for the glory of God. And it testifies to our trust in God's promises. We have that promise. We have this promise here, the third one. We have the promise of protection because of this third one. We have the promise of salvation. Salvation based on God's grace alone, not human achievement. We have assurance that we are protected in all situations because God Himself has saved us by His grace alone, not our achievements. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 gives us this promise. And these promises are meant to embolden us, to make us fearless, to give us confidence when we stand up for Christ. This is, this is the only reason you and I exist and aren't in heaven right now. You are ambassadors for the Lord, the Master, Jesus Christ. To be His witness here on earth until Christ comes or you go home. This is why you work. This is why you go to school. This is why you come to church. This is why you do whatever you do. It is for the glory of God to testify to His grace and His power and speak the word fearlessly. That's why you're a student. That's why you're a parent. That's why you're a single. That's why you're a child. It's to represent Christ in whatever situation you're in because of this. Because what He did for you. We should reflect it joyfully. In verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God, being rich or abounding in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, this is the purpose of your salvation. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, the salvation, He says, is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His produce, His product, His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This promise of salvation based on grace alone, not human achievement, should actually lead us to a greater confidence as witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one outside of God's grace that cannot be reached by Him. God can penetrate the darkness. He can revive the dead. He can give life to hard-hearted, dead, corrupt sinners, followers of Satan. That's what Ephesians 2, 1-3 describe us as. This should give us greater confidence. This promise that's given to us should make us a confident witness for Christ in every situation. This should make us fearless. I think there's another reason we should be fearless. It's the fourth reason, the fourth promise. We're also promised this as believers, resurrection. All believers are promised resurrection from the dead based on Jesus' accomplishments. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. And in God's grace, He has given us this promise in Scripture. 
It was prophesied in the old. It is revealed in the new. And here we see the Apostle Paul remind us of that. And I'm sure this is on the Apostle Paul's mind in Philippians when he's writing this letter from Rome. I'm sure when he says to live as Christ and die as gain, he's thinking about this. This promise is sustaining him in his confinement here on earth as Christ's ambassador. Verse 3 says, For I deliver to you as of first importance. There are some things that are more important than others. And the Apostle Paul says this promise is of first importance. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, in accordance with God's promises, that He would provide an atonement for us, that He would provide a sacrifice for sinners, and the one He would provide would be God the Son Himself who would be raised on the third day to testify to His holiness and His accomplished work and His reception from God the Father so that we could be received by God the Father, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be His faithful witnesses here on earth. This was Paul's assurance. And I think further in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul was assured by the other promise at the end of this passage, end of chapter 15, in verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, but, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know that was going through Paul's mind in Philippians. You know that was his heart there in Rome when he's suffering. Brothers, I'm going to be steadfast. I'm going to be immovable. I'm going to be abounding in the work of the Lord because I know that in the Lord this labor is not in vain and neither is yours. Neither is yours if you understand that the sovereign Lord placed you here. You can have confidence that He's going to make this purposeful. Your confinement isn't something that God is punishing you in. He is granting it to you so that you will be His ambassador here. Pointing to the reality that your home is in heaven and that while you're here, you're going to be a pilgrim who points people to Christ, the one who sets us free from our sin. That's what these promises should do to us. They should make us steadfast and cause us to abound in the work of the Lord. And church, seriously, think about this. What, what quenches your evangelistic efforts? Self-protection. Self-protection. Not abandonment of self. Comfort. A desire not to be rejected. A desire to be liked. And it's ultimately selfish. Christ Himself became a servant for the sake of others. We are Christ's servants here on earth for the sake of His name and the good of others. And the Apostle Paul understood that. This life is not all we have. It is a drop in the bucket. Considering this should move us 
forward as witnesses for Christ with confidence. That was Paul's testimony. Again, we, we, don't, need to, we don't need to idolize the Apostle Paul ever. We idolize Jesus, who is Paul's confidence. And the power of his commitment comes from Christ working in him. Christ promises to him. But sometimes we almost idolize the Apostle Paul and think, well, yeah, but that's just not me. I'm not like that. The same Spirit that was driving the Apostle Paul is in you and I. The same Holy Spirit controls us, constrains us, directs us to His Word. We have the same promises that we can hold on to. That we can stand firm in. And yes, we may suffer for it. Expect it. But you'll never lose when you suffer for Christ. The worst they can do is take you out. You go home. Christ is honored. Philippians 1.14, we see a man who believed this. We see the testimony of a man who believed that nothing, no one, no situation can prevent God's grace from reaching His people. Not a Roman prison, not a Roman soldier, not even people with wrong motives, and not even Satan himself can prevent the gospel from going forward according to God's decree and His plan to work through His people. Paul believed that. Paul believed that God's eternal plan will be accomplished. God will get His people. Jesus died for His people. He will not lose one of them. God will redeem His people and He'll even use suffering to advance the gospel. We have to believe that. You have to believe that or you might as well put up the greenery, put up the tree, put up celebrating Christmas because that's what it's all about. We celebrate at Christmas not just the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnation. We celebrate at Christmas God's promises and providence that brought us a deliverer. The deliverer would come to us and deliver us from spiritual confinement in sin, but he would do so through suffering according to God's promises. And if the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't exempt from suffering, what makes us think we will be? His suffering had an atoning effect. Our suffering has a sanctifying effect. It causes us to cling closer to Christ and let go of the world and the trappings of the world and the comforts of the world and the promises of the world that are fleeting. It makes us cling to the promises of God that are eternal. The things that are seen are temporal. The things that are eternal are what are real. Do you believe in Jesus? Can you see Him? He is more real than anything you see physically or feel. You will stand before Him. You will adore Him. You will serve Him for eternity. We want to do that now. We want to live in that reality at this moment now. Paul believed that. Paul believed the promises of God in the Old Testament. He believed that the promises of the Old Testament about Christ were fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament, and he stood on those promises. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Let me, let me do this. Let me remind you some more. Let me remind you, and I pray, cultivate confidence in you so that you will stand up for Jesus this Christmas. Let me, let, me, let me cultivate confidence in you so you'll stand up for Jesus by recalling the promises that are given to you because of Christ and what He accomplished on your behalf. God's Word tells us 
that from the very beginning, Genesis 3, Genesis 3, from the very beginning that God promised that freedom from the curse, freedom from the fall, freedom from sin would come through God's own personal intervention. Genesis 3.15 I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to Satan. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Speaking of Jesus in the future, the prophecy of Christ. Christ will receive this this blow, but it will not crush him. Christ will, in turn, crush the head of Satan, the power of Satan. This was God's promise from the very beginning to Adam and Eve that God Himself would intervene. He would do something to set us free from our confinement to sin. God also promised that freedom would come through God the Son's incarnation. Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. At Christmas, this is what we're celebrating, right? God made a promise to send a Redeemer to give us freedom from sin. And here He is. He's, he's represented as Emmanuel, God with us. But this is only part of the plan. The Redeemer would come, according to God's promises, not just to be our substitute in life, but also our substitute on the cross. Through suffering, God's promises bring us grace. That's what we see. The other promise is this in Isaiah 53. God promised that freedom would come not just through incarnation, but through substitution, vicarious atonement. Christ comes into the world to live our life, but then He comes to die our death, to heal us spiritually from that which can find us to hell for eternity. Verse 3 says, Jesus was despised, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely. This is the promise. This is the promise that you should stand on when you're, when you're being persecuted for your faith in Christ. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we have stand Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes we are healed. This, this should cultivate confidence in the midst of our confinement here on earth as Christ's ambassadors. This, this had to be in the heart of the Apostle Paul. He's standing on the promises of God in these situations. The brothers, most of the brothers, are having more confidence in the Lord because of this confidence that Paul had in God's promise. God had sent His Son into the world to live our life and die our death, not just to waste it on us going through life struggling 
but to make us his ambassadors in a world that has fallen and in need of the gospel. You know how important you are? You, you are God's chosen instruments to declare the glorious truth about Jesus so that all men everywhere, men, women, children, will hear about the grace of our good and gracious God, our sovereign God, who can take dead sinners and make us living saints, set us apart, not just to get heaven, but to be his witnesses here on earth. That is what the promise leads to. It leads us to believe that we are given the promise of not only his life, his, his death, his resurrection, so that we get to go to heaven and just sing about it. No, we get to start shouting about it here on earth in this confinement. That's exactly what Paul's doing in Philippi. These promises are setting him free even though he is imprisoned. These promises should set us free because these promises set us free from condemnation. These promises set us free from condemnation and they should transform our life now here on earth as a result of this. I mean, do you, do you stop and think about what God's forgiven you of and how he forgave you? What he did to atone for your sins? How, how do you shut that up? How do you shut that down? You shut it down and you shut it up by not remembering not reflecting on the gospel. That's how you shut it down. If, if, if your witness is wavering, if your boldness is not so bold, if you are fearful of men, the fear of man is greater than the fear of God, it's because you're not trusting in the promises of God because you probably need to go back and review the promises of God. They're yours in Christ. Yes and amen. All that Christ has is yours. Love, grace, peace, forgiveness. That should make you a faithful witness. Just think about this. At Christmas, we should really be bold witnesses. The whole world, whether they want to or not, are unwilling evangelists. And we need to take advantage of it. At Christmas, we're, we're celebrating as Christians, in particular, that Jesus wasn't just incarnated God the Son was incarnated, absolutely. Second person of the Trinity becomes flesh like us, clothes himself in humility to bring us salvation. It's amazing. But that's not all he did. We celebrate the incarnation and the suffering and the resurrection that God promised to us through the work of his Son. We are going to be resurrected with him because of his work. That's what makes us, I think, joyful ambassadors, joyful witnesses. Evangelism is not strong-arming people to go out and preach about Christ. Evangelism is reminding people of the gospel that saved them and let, let, letting that set their hearts on fire so they can go out and tell others about the grace that they have received in Christ and glorify His name. That's what this truth should do. That's what it did to Paul. That's what it did to most of the brethren there at Philippi. This truth should transform our view of our lives. It's not our lives. This life isn't yours. It's Christ's. You died with Him. You've been raised with Him. You're an ambassador for Him now. Just think about that. When Paul talks about this in Philippians 1, 12 and 13, he says, I am a prisoner for Christ, not of Christ. 
I'm in this imprisonment for Jesus' sake. Think about that. Your confinement here on earth isn't punishment. God's, God's not making you work off your, your bad deeds until one day you're pure and you can be brought into heaven. No, Christ has already atoned for those. So why are you here? You're here. You're confined to this planet to be what most of these brothers were there in Philippians 1.14. Go back there with me. You're confined to this planet. You're confined here for a very small time, for a very particular reason. And we all need to remember this and trust in God's promises to accomplish this so that we would become more confident in the Lord by this imprisonment and we would be much more bold to speak the word without fear. That's why you're here. You're here when you feel overwhelmed, when you see this world and its confinement around you and its persecution coming toward you, you remember that you're here to stand without fear and speak the truth about Jesus Christ, that He saves sinners. And if sinners hear that and they come to that, they can be assured that that gift that God has given to them will never fail that it will accomplish the work that God intends and it will be completed one day. And in the meantime, they should proclaim it and be witnesses of it. Just keep this in mind. We're not confined by the world. We are confined to the world as ambassadors for Christ. I mean... When you do your daily duties, and you're going to work, you're going to school, you're going to whatever event you're going to, do you ever stop and consider who you are? You're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen people. You are an ambassador, a representative for the master creator, Lord and sovereign one. You're Jesus's. You're beloved. You're, you're one that he atoned for. You're one that... Receive the blessings from the cross by God's grace. He has shown you favor and mercy for a purpose so that you would be His testimony, His workmanship, created to do good works for His glory and for the good of others. Turn to Ephesians. We'll end on this passage. I want you to think about this. Ephesians chapter 3. You were chosen by God personally and sacrificially for a very specific reason. This passage will tell us. You're chosen by God personally and sacrificially to proclaim the gospel fearlessly and boldly for God's glory. That's why you're saved. That's the role of the church in the world. The church is the body of Christ incarnate. We are here to incarnate the truth about God the Son to the world around us. We are His witnesses. The church is His witness. Ephesians 3.8 To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that, notice, through the church, 
the variegated or manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, Brothers, I'll ask you, Sovereign Grace, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell, take up occupancy, what that means in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled or controlled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We need to focus on this promise. This is the promise of the redeemed. We have been given the knowledge of Christ personally, His love for us intimately put in us so that we could declare publicly and boldly the goodness and grace of Christ. That is the church's role, and that is your promise. You are placed in the church to do this with boldness and fearlessly for the goodness of others and the glory of God. It's the grace of God and God's promises that should move us, like it did the Apostle Paul and most of the brothers at Philippi. It should move us. His, his promises and his favor toward us should move us to joyfully and boldly evangelize the lost. That is what caused Paul to rejoice with confidence in his confinement. That is what caused the other brothers to be moved out into fearless evangelism. The promises of God are given to us for that purpose. They're given to us in Scripture to remind us to proclaim the gospel with boldness for the glory of God and the good of others. We need to rejoice this morning with the Apostle Paul in confidence. We need to rejoice with confidence in God's promises. And we need to be moved from that to boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ till He comes. We need to do that so that others may see the glorious truth that we know now and forever. If we believe in a sovereign God, and we do, one who calls sinners from the dead, we need to also believe that He chooses and declares that we are His instruments, His voices that are be, being used to speak the word that raises the dead. God has chosen the means to his end to be evangelism. And he's chosen his church to be his evangelist. 
you believe in the sovereignty of God, you must believe in the proclamation of the gospel. It is God's glorious means to testify to the greatness of Christ through his church that he redeemed with Christ's blood. That's who you are. That's your promise that should help you in your confinement here on earth for Christ as his ambassador. Let's pray that that will move us out into bold and fearless evangelism this Christmas season. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again this morning for the promises that we have in Christ. We thank you for the promises that you fulfilled through Christ, through his suffering and his atoning death. We, we thank you for what you did for us on our behalf, Jesus. We thank you for this atoning work, this substitutionary work that redeems us and prepares us for heaven, but also makes us your representatives here on earth. We, we pray that that promise would give us confidence to face discomfort for your sake this Christmas. I pray that each person here will be uncomfortable proclaiming the gospel this Christmas because they're doing it properly. I pray that your gospel, as it makes them uncomfortable, grants grace and repentance and faith to sinners that you are redeeming through the means of grace that you have granted to us through the message of the the cross. I pray that you would make us faithful in this and that you would give us a renewed mind and a renewed commitment this morning to stand with confidence on your promises in Christ. Amen.